often do you think about Satan? How often should you think about Satan? As you might guess, the topic today is spiritual warfare, and I hope that what you hear is as helpful and as paradigm-shifting for you as it was for me. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alastair Groves. Faculty member here at CCEF, I work in the New England office, and I direct the School of Biblical Counseling. Today I'm speaking with our executive director and my fellow faculty member at CCEF, David Pallison. David, welcome. Thanks for coming it back on It is a pleasure to CCF talk together, Alistair. Um, David, I wanted to um, dive into something that you've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about, and it's something that has been relatively uh, paradigm shifting for me, and that's the issue of spiritual warfare. Uh, big topic, so I want to zoom us in just a little bit uh, in this way. I um, I would say I have spent most of my life, un- until encountering the way you thought about this issue, thinking of spiritual warfare as something uh, A, bizarre, be fairly rare, unless you're an unlucky person who happened to be sort of beset by such things all the time, but but really not something that one bumped into on any kind of regular basis. Mm-hmm. And um, you've changed the way I've thought about such things. And so what I would like to talk about today is what is spiritual warfare, in, in particular, how do we... Um, what does it mean for us to be looking for spiritual warfare or thinking about spiritual warfare in our day-to-day lives? Yes. The, I think for myself, I probably had the same immediate kinds of assumptions or associations as you describe. And the way that the Bible talks about our enemy, the enemy of our souls, it changed how I thought about it. And it, what one sees in how Scripture portrays Satan, I would characterize this way, that he is never the center of attention, but just every now and then, so we don't forget, the Bible picks up the curtain and says, look, there's someone behind the scenes. And there's someone behind the scenes, not simply meaning he's occasionally active, but he's always active. And that when we understand those things that are more accessible to us, like the flesh, you know, the desires, the works, the sinfulness of of, uh, people, when we look at the activities, the relatively accessible activities of what we call the world, both the, the false beliefs, the false value systems, the abuse, the violation, the hurt, the pain that people cause, there is... A third operative who's a liar, who's a murderer, who is operating in the fog of war, so difficult to see, but there. And when I think about literature, non-biblical literature, that portrays 
what, what comes closest to portraying how real spiritual warfare works? I think in an interesting way, it's, it's Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, or in a similar way, less well-known uh, piece of writing is a trilogy that, that C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, that uh, Space Trilogy is what it's, it's called, and it portrays the workings of the evil one as, in both cases, as always there, utterly normal, very malign, hostile, profoundly deceptive, and operating in and through and around and over and under the normal, quote-unquote, sins, evils, sufferings, hardships, lies that happen in life. And I think one of the ways that that perspective, well, that perspective is everywhere in the Bible. It, The, the devil is, um, he's brought on stage as, at the center of every sin, he's brought on stage as the torturer and the murderer, the killer, uh, Jesus in John 8, when he talks about that you follow your father, the devil, he talks about the devil, that we follow his desires. So, you know, the conformity of our flesh to pride, self-will, that would be a theme in how James picks up spiritual warfare. That evidences his role. Uh, he's a liar, uh, which then is mirrored in the lies that our culture tells us. Uh, He's a murderer that is mirrored in the ways people sin against each other, hurt each other. So the, the probably the classic, quote, spiritual warfare passage is, is Ephesians 2 in the beginning. And world, flesh, and devil, that's where they are. You see those three, and they, they aren't presented as three different operating systems. So it's not like someone, what you so often hear is, oh, maybe that's spiritual warfare right. when something right. weird or bizarre or extremely... Or it's just a bad season and you know everything seems to be going wrong all at once or or... usually evil right and gives you the spooks and uh, yeah ephesians 2 portrays it as that uh, this intertwining and the metaphor i like best is thinking of a in order to make a braid you have to have three strands mm-hmm. and those three strands completely interlock mm-hmm. and they interweave on each other and so in that sense spiritual warfare is the most normal thing in the world. It's there when something is really bizarre, and it's there when just ordinary garden variety unbelief or everyday sin. If someone has a little temper tantrum snit or grumbles, and they are evidencing a conformity to the one who is proud and angry and hostile. And uh... So, and again, I mean, this this has been, you've convinced me, and, and this has shaped my thinking enormously. Let let me play out one or two thoughts slash questions. First would be, I mean, I think I think of something like, well, the the first um, couple of scenes with with the devil, right? He is he's lying to Eve. Um, he's not forcing her. He doesn't possess her and cause her to take the fruit. And she sort of wakes up and says, "Oh no, what have I done?" Um, he he plays through the normal back and forth of a conversation pressing her toward toward evil and toward doubt of the Lord's goodness and self-will and autonomy and I know what's best and so on. And then you see, you know, and she Cain, believes a lie. Right. And, she, and the lie is actually interesting because it's, it's what you get, you'd call uh, disinformation because it's got a lot of truths right, in it. Right. But it's they're twisting all spun of, in a way that has evil implications. Right. Right. And, and then, and then you, you bump into it again when the Lord is warning Cain 
um, and saying, you know, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. And it's sort of interesting. You know, that's not necessarily directly the devil, but it's, it's a personified sin, sin as a ravenous beast or, you know, it's sort of the picking up a, as, as First Peter does in chapter 5, on that image of this prowling lion waiting to tear you apart. It's not just something you, uh, quote-unquote, fall into because you made a bad choice. It's, it's this Back active agent. Uh, and, and yet, the Lord doesn't say, uh, you know, be careful, Cain, that you don't uh, allow this thing to sort of take over and take you where you don't want to go. It's, it's instead... Uh, don't do this. Don't do you know. it. He speaks to you. Uh, yeah. You are the agent who is in control. I think that's control. one of the most significant things is that people are always at the center of the Bible's intent, attention. And the most striking example of the sort of thing you're, you just described is with Simon in Acts 8. Simon was an occult practitioner. He's evidencing the power lust that is so characteristic of the occult. And one would think if there's ever a place where, okay, we need to like deal with the devil, not with the man, that might be it. But it is, Peter get, delivers the most pointed, personal, extended, detailed rebuke of a man anywhere in Scripture. And it calls him to repent. It calls him to repent and assumes that you can always speak to the human agent, and yet you're repenting of things that reveal your likeness to a satanic agent. Uh, who is the father of lies and would possess us morally, if you want to use that, the word possess, in, a, in probably a more accurate and more profoundly evil sense of how evil operates. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I'll be uh, at the end of the episode, David, I'll be linking to the article you wrote recently in the Journal of Biblical Counseling uh, called something like Stand Up Against the Darkness, um, which uh, goes into more depth on some of the theological underpinnings of this and, and applications of this. Will you say a, a word or two about what is the practical payoff in my daily life, your daily life, today, tomorrow? What, um, I'll put it provocatively, I'll, I'll put it um, almost <laughs> devil's advocate, if you will. What difference? So what? Okay, so spiritual warfare, is it, it is everywhere, it is all the time. So why do I even then need to worry about it or think about it if... Um, if the answer is that I need to repent or resist temptation or believe what's true, what's what's the helpfulness? Why does Scripture go to all this trouble of mentioning that there is this active agent yeah, behind there, the problem? Is there any cash value? Or yeah. so, is so devil just an atom that is yeah. there, but it doesn't matter? And right. I, there's a lot of ways we could come at that. I, let me simply mention one. There's a great temptation in counseling ministry to think that somehow that something I might say to someone and then their ability to take it to heart, think about it, ponder it, and then put it into practice. So that's something that just, the, the difficulty a person has is just their own difficulty. It's the flesh's resistance. It's the blind spots they have. It's, but there is a power to the hold that evil and unbelief and lies have on people that at minimum, and this is what you see, say, a little bit later in Ephesians, the prominence of prayer in Ephesians, at minimum, a recognition of spiritual warfare consistently makes me realize that when I'm ministering to anybody, I need to be praying because it is the, only the power of God to open blind eyes. And that otherwise, unless the power of God is extended mercifully into a person's life, I might say really lovely words that are true and helpful, the great principles, 
but I am underestimating the nature of the, the, the battle for a human soul. That is what spiritual warfare is about, by the way. That's really important to say that it, it's really, it's not about the things you see in the Gospels where Jesus is casting out uh, evil spirits that are holding people in, that, that create paralysis or convulsions or blindness or deafness. Spiritual warfare is about who owns your soul. Who is your master? Who calls the shots about your life, your loyalty, and ultimately then the outcome of your life? Do you end up in death or in life? And that, that, that warfare for the, for the loyalty of our souls always involves, well, the old Bob Dylan line, you know, you either serve the devil or you serve the Lord. And it makes us pray. Uh, that would be one level of, of uh, the significance is it raises the stakes. And we live in a culture that's very pragmatic and is always about technique, strategy, you know, just develop this mental technique of the thoughts you say to yourself or be mindful and somehow you can solve all your problems. And the awareness that there's a liar and a deceiver who's trickier than we are, it makes you realize a deeper battle. It's not just some self-improvement project that you have the ability and power to fix yourself. As you're saying that, it's making me think of any number of situations, um, probably especially with people who are angry, probably especially husbands who are angry, um, where... So wives are not immune. No, no, wives are not immune. I'm just, the situations that are, that are popping to my head. Yeah, just, counseling situations uh, that yes. are difficult. Yes, and, and just thinking about how, um, how, yeah, about the uh, gap, the gap between seeing something right in a situation like she shouldn't have done that or he shouldn't have done that and, and that bothered me or it hurt so-and-so or it set us back or you know whatever the case might be but but then getting so fixated on one piece and it just becomes all out of it's um well like you were saying about about the temptation of the garden there's there's truths in it and yet it's been warped it's been distorted and there, there's something about there's truth and anger that one might well perceive a right. real wrong right Right. You, you really have been wrong. That really was a bad thing that your wife did or your husband did. And, and yet that then becomes the excuse, the reason why my own bitterness, resentment, hatred, retaliation is justified or, or self-indulgence. I mean, that's a great example. That would be another application of cash value where you, you think about the way James 3 and 4 works, where what is portrayed is at the heart of our flesh and our foolishness are two dynamics, self-exaltation and lust, desire, I zeal, bad zeal for things that I want. Well, that's exactly, that's the image of the devil. He is proud and self-exalting and he wants what he wants. And I think it can be very sobering for someone who's got an anger problem and is prone, like all angry people, to self-righteousness, self-justification, self-pity, to realize, you know, when I, when I speak in that manner, when I say those words in that tone of voice, I am actually in the image of the devil. I am being demonic. And it's one of the most interesting things where the, the, the words in the Bible for really good things, admonishment, reproof, exhortation, the ways we're meant to challenge each other and speak candidly are just a hair's breadth away from judgmentalism, and, and hatred, and cruelty, and damning people, both damning someone and speaking constructively about a problem are both dealing with something in your life that may be wrong. But it's the difference between Jesus and Satan. 
Satan is the accuser of us in wrong. And Jesus speaks candor to us out of mercy and out of a desire to free us from what is, has got us stuck. So that contrast, can, I, I think, can be, it's, been help, it's helped me to realize that when i am just got a bad attitude, I'm in the image of the being that I do not want to be in his image. This, this is a, it's a sobering look sobering. at every little tiny place our hearts can go. And that's really the dynamic there from the end of, of James 3 on in, into the first half of James 4, where Satan, the, the devil is mentioned twice, this demonic wisdom, and, uh, and that we want the devil to flee from us, not take up residence and dominate our lives. And uh, it's all linked to anger, pride, self-righteousness, those, those pretty ABC, everyday type sins. Right. <clears throat> Things which the devil is eager to inflame, and he's happy to use suffering or blessing. He's happy to, if winning the lottery is what it takes to have your soul drift from the Lord. He, sure. Well, Mark, Mark 4, it's the, it's the thorns uh, the, the thorns and the care. It's the, the blessings and, and the care. This is going back to your opening comment. The devil's equally happy with someone getting into just weird, bizarre, occult-type stuff, Satan worship. Or just being a run-of-the-mill, everyday unbeliever. They're equally useful to him. He suppresses the truth and inserts lies in both cases. Yeah. David, let me run one last thing by you. Uh, tell me tell me if I'm... If, am I processing this as you would, would have us? This is me sort of recently in my own life thinking about this. I had a situation... I don't know, a month ago, at some point, there, there were some significant things on my plate, uh, both work here and, and personally, and it just, it was one of those moments where you just felt like suddenly everything seemed to be going wrong. There was relational tensions, and there was um, temptations, and there was stuff not going right, and there was probably sick kids. I don't remember all the different factors that were at play, but I just, you had this moment where, um, where the old paradigm kind of pops up in my head of like, wow, this sure feels like spiritual warfare. And now I process that through the lens of, okay, but that's it. Spiritual warfare is happening all the time. Let me tell you how... Including now. <clears throat> including now. And, and so I've been trying to think about how do I, how do I make sense of what... Because I think there is a right kind of insight there when someone says, oh, wow, I think this must be spiritual warfare. Um, I think they're, there's something helpful right, to but me. They're, they would be right to say it. Any time, sure. Too. And so I think what what I what I did with my own experience in the last month was to say, okay, this this is not in that sense abnormal. This is not something new and different. But I think there is a right, an appropriate, healthy way to recognize. Okay, the stakes are really high right now. There's some really important things that, if I could be distracted from them, or if I could sabotage them, or if I could be lazy or self indulgent. Or and I am being up. tempted, and, and I'm tried, being tempted exactly. and pressured, and in those moments, I'm more prone to my own irritability or discouragement. And it wouldn't be hard for my irritability in those things to sour other people's interactions with some of these things, and to cause the whole thing to be less effective and fruitful, where it, where there's really thoughtful, fruitful, carefulness needed. And so, it just it it made me think that it is appropriate to say, well, this would be an especially bad time for me to image the evil one. This would be an especially sensitive moment where walking as Christ walked and walking hand in hand with his spirit could bear especially sweet and rich fruit. And the devil would be especially pleased if these 
sensitive, more high stakes kinds of things went south in a hurry. And but you know, let me yes. Okay, this is why yes I'm glad I'm running it by you. You know, Go the ahead. and I would say is let's say you've just given a talk and you did a really nice job. The devil would be particularly blessed if you would walk away patting yourself on the back for what a great guy you are. That doesn't, that's not the bad day. That's the good day. And, you know, you break your arm patting yourself on the back and pride <laughs> takes over. And, I'm pretty flexible. And you squander, you squander the, uh, you squander the blessing in that sense. So I, I would say what unites both of those is these, the, the way we fight spiritual warfare is, is I don't start talking to the devil. Draw near to God and the devil will flee from you. It you know, the Psalms are fighting spiritual warfare. And the, what the Psalms are seeking is the Lord. Because in those moments, where it's the fraughtness of a really bad day where you're prone to lose it in lots of very destructive ways, or the fraughtness of, I just did really well and I'm prone to my pride and self-righteousness. I, in both cases, I need, I need to humble myself before God and seek Him. And that's the positive message in James 3 and 4 is this wisdom that is humble and receptive and seeking, that in seeking him we will find him. In humbling ourselves, he will exalt us. And uh, um, that, that too, I think, the, the normality of how, the normalness of how you fight is really key to a, a sane, dynamic understanding of the real warfare that we're in. Right. And, and the sobering nature of the battle, or even the small skirmishes lost, uh, is is intended very much not, like you said, not to drive us toward uh, focus on the devil, but rather to run to Christ. To, to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. David, will you pray for all of us, speaking and listening, as we sure. wage war in the next ten minutes? Yeah, Lord, we are in a fight, and it is our great joy that we have a God who is a strong tower, that a Father who takes us under under his wings, a savior, a shepherd who looks out over the sheep and you care. We, Lord, so much of spiritual warfare, we are really glad that we don't know that there's anything particularly evil going on, that you protect us so often, so well. Lord, there are times we're more aware, or we should be more aware, and whether it's the normal days or the or the abnormal days, we pray that you would help us to have the same reflex that we would be men and women and children who seek you, who want you, who take refuge in you, who need you for mercy, for strength, for protection, for care, and that you would have honor as we walk in a way that we truly are safe in you and we truly are strong in you and we truly need not fear the lies and the ragings of the enemy of our souls. So help us. And we pray in the name of Christ who defeated all darkness. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to spend more time thinking and reading about issues of spiritual warfare and the kind of different paradigm that David and I were discussing today, you should read David's article called Stand Up Against the Darkness, which is in um, the Journal of Biblical Counseling. And we'll have it linked next to today's episode on our webpage, ccef.org slash podcast. And it'll be there for free until we put the next show up. Of course, if you have questions or thoughts or comments for us about today's conversation or other podcasts we've done, uh, don't hesitate to shoot us an email 
at podcast at ccef.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.